Prayer is one of the most interesting components of faith. And as I mentioned in the beginning, that you, you go through a journey of faith. And, and I've shared this many times, and I'm going to share it again, just because I, I feel like it's important. Everyone in a journey of faith goes through stages. When you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Christ, when, when Jesus becomes Lord of all, you go through this excitement that you've never believed was possible. It is something that you just sense God's presence around you all of the time. When you have surrendered your life to Jesus, that's normal. That's how it's supposed to be. And that presence that you feel, that you sense, is the Holy Spirit. It's the same presence that was at creation. It was the same presence that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same presence in Acts chapter 2 when the disciples were empowered. And it's the same presence that when you surrender your life to Christ, He's there. But here's where a lot of people go wrong. And I kind of alluded this to to a couple weeks ago. Remember I talked about how people get high on Jesus? They kind of look at Jesus as a drug and they, they take a hit of Jesus and then they, they throw him away and, and they only go to him when, he, when they need a high, when they, when they need that uplifting thing. And, and that's what church becomes. It's like running to the bar. It's like running to, to an event to, to get that, <sighs> I got filled. And in that, Christians, if they don't stay on a certain course, fall into the trap, of what happened to my faith. And one day you go to Jesus in surrenderance and and being completely desperate. And it seems in that most desperate, confusing time in your life, Jesus, when He becomes your Lord and Savior, becomes so clear. You see everything different. You have, may have been in church and heard the Bible and read certain Bible stories, but all of a sudden you start reading them and they pop. They become alive. You see the stories in your heart and your mind. But I have to say for the majority of people in their faith, by year three they go, tank. And they're confused and they're frustrated. And it's like that with prayer. You come to Christ... Everything you ask in the beginning, it's like, bam, I can't believe he just answered that. And what I love being around new Christians because every time I'm with them, like, guess what God did? Let me guess. He answered a prayer. How did you know? Because you're going to him. You're desperate. You're hungry. You're running after him. And you have this relationship with him that is one of intimacy. But you know what the biggest, the biggest concern and frustration I hear from people who have been walking in their faith for 5, 10, 15 years is, God never hears me. He never answers my prayers. I feel like he's, not that God is dead, but God is deaf. Right? Isn't that a fair statement? Not that God is dead. As a Christian, we would say, God is never dead. We're not Nietzsche. We would never say, God is dead we would oftentimes say it's as if God is deaf. And you see, as a pastor, I need to be sensitive to not just a group of people, but the whole body of believers and where they're going on their journey of faith. Because too often, 
the people that, that, that are most poisonous to the church are those who have fallen into the trap that God is deaf. Because here's what happens. They see a new Christian and they see them all fired up. Here, stand up, Jeff. Josh, come on up. And so here comes Josh. Josh is coming, and this is, this is just a, an example. This is no, there's no reality in this, okay? So let's just leave it like that, okay? This just so happens that they're in the front row, okay? Why don't you guys sit down? Sue and Ben, why don't we do that instead? No, I'm just joking. And Josh comes running in. Man, guess what God did? And he tells this story to Jeff. And Jeff's going, yeah, awesome. Praise God. Good job. Keep it up. Next week, Josh does the same thing. Guess what God did? Guess what he answered? Yeah, sure, keep it going. And when he turns and walks away, Jeff would say, let's see how he is in five years. Let's see how his attitude is, actually is in five years. Let's see if he's so God crazy then. Let's see if he's so excited about his faith after five stinking years, when all of a sudden, God becomes, you can sit down. Good job. Visuals are always helpful. Good job. Nice haircut, by the way. Thank you. Look good. But here's what we want to do. We are going to jump, come close, listen to the story. Let's listen to stories of Jesus and what Jesus gave so that we, for that new believer, they're saying, you know what? I don't want to fall in that trap. To that person who is here that, that's wrestling with faith and saying, I'm about to engage because I believe that God is on the verge of really hearing me. I, I, I want to speak this so that you don't fall into that trap, that bear trap, those claws that you can't get out of. But just as important, I want to say this to all of you, who have been Christians for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years, that you would get out of the spiritual rut and begin to see God clearly, knowing that God is not deaf in your confusion. But listen to this. In your confusion, as you press into Him, He's actually wanting to bring Clarity. You hear that? You hear that? So turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be jumping around a lot today. And I know I usually just stick on one passage, but I got a little excited this week, and so we're going to be jumping around. Matthew chapter 20, verse 22. Matthew 20, verse 22. Okay? Here we go. Verse 20. Verse 20 through 22. This is not a parable. This is a true story. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. Now listen to this request. Now, I'm not saying this is where everyone is, but I think this is a trap that we all fall into. She... He says, what is your request, he asked. She replied, in your kingdom, because she knew that Jesus was talking about this new kingdom that would come and that he was going to establish it, please 
Let my son sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Oh yes, they replied. We are able. Now think about this for a moment. Now again, stick with me. Listen to this request. She is going to Jesus, who she has given her sons over, because of how he has manifested the kingdom of God amongst them. And in that, she is watching and she is looking for the Messiah. She is one of those women, one of those Jewish women from at a small age which said, there is one who is coming who will heal the sick and release the oppressions. And she sees this and and probably for those first three years, she's in a place of desperation and, and hunger and going to Jesus for her needs. But as he starts talking about something more and something grander and and something that she saw as her agenda, she stopped and said, wow, Jesus has answered everything that everyone's asked. Let me ask him something. Let's push the envelope. And in that, she asks, can you do this for me? Let my one son sit at your left and my other son sit at your right. You see, here's the thing is, in all of our prayer, including myself, there are moments of reality and there's moments of confusion and selfishness and there's also moments of desperation. And as we walk with Christ, we start blurring the lines of clarity and confusion. Because when we never keep Jesus, when we start taking Jesus off the throne, who does it become more about? Who? Us. I mean, let's be honest. I will be honest. In so many different instances, there have been that, I've, that I've, I've put Jesus at the throne, at the helm. But as I see him kind of working in my life and doing things and things are happening, something shifts in my soul. Where it actually becomes more about me than about him. About my kingdom, rather than his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you see, this is the tension that we all fall into because it's easy. It's easy. Now, if this is all you hear this morning, you're missing the point. I'm giving you this one example first because we're going to jump into two others. Let me ask you a question. Could some of your confusion be because maybe you have your eyes fixed on the wrong things? And if we are completely honest, in our space of living, in our locale, in our zip codes, 
This is a tension that we wrestle with every single moment. Not every day, every single moment. I mean, think about it. The time that you want to stop, take a deep breath and rest, and you turn on the TV to fill your mind with nothingless, what do you actually fill it with? Selfishness. It's the reality. It's, I want that. I need that. And our wants become needs. And I think that's happened with a lot of Christians. You see, Abraham had that tension. God said, I have a plan for you. Huge plan. You're going to be father of nations, not nation, nations, plural. But he became desperate and impatient. And so what did he do? He took matters into his own hands. And so in Abraham's confusion, when actually God was trying to bring him clarity by trusting him, he messed up. You see, I can speak like this because I fall into this trap, not sometimes, but often. Turn with me now to Luke chapter 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 11. Now, let's make this a little bit more personal. Not meaning personal to you, but more personal to your relationship with God. Let's now talk about some of the the feelings and issues that we wrestle through. So I would say that whole idea of Matthew chapter 20 is geared towards that that Christian that's been here for for three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years of walking in faith. That their kingdoms get shifted. Whose kingdom? My kingdom? His kingdom? Maybe it's better said, our kingdom. (laughs) God's kingdom is my kingdom. That's how we want it to be. Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 8. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Now look at that. Here is a parable, earthly story with a heavenly meeting on prayer. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for his friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now think about this. The self-consumed friend. When I think of this passage, I kind of label it the self-consumed friend. That oftentimes we go to God and it's like the the doors to heaven are closed. That God has shut the doors and for some reason it's too late. Okay, It's too late for God to hear me. And at times we feel like that that friend who goes to to someone in need and we're banging. We're banging. And all we sense is that God is more consumed about others, his family, right? My kids are sleeping. 
don't wake up my kids than he is about us. You see, there's a tension there. That when we start wrestling with this idea that God is a self-consumed friend, of course it's going to bring confusion. Our prayers seem tireless. And as we go, we get to a plate of frustration that our frustration turns into exhaustion. You ever have a conversation with someone like that? That the more you talk to them, the more frustrating you get, and the more frustrating you get, the more exhausted you become? I had a conversation like that a week ago. That I had to go to this individual, and it's no one here in the plant, so no one feel like, was that me? Was that me? No, it had nothing to do with anyone here. The person's from South Jersey. And I began the conversation by saying, I got to be honest. I am so frustrated. I'm exhausted. That's how I began the conversation. And that's what happens with God, doesn't it? That there comes a point in our life that we're so confused that that it seems that God is this self-consuming being that He cares more about others than ourselves. That that we have the feeling, the feeling that he's closed the door and the only reason he will answer it is because we are annoying the life out of him. That we are just so annoying that he's finally going to give in to our nagging voices. But here's what we have to understand. That's a feeling. That's not a truth. And so often in our journey of faith that we have these feelings, and and I don't even want to call it reality because reality is different for, for this group compared to this group compared to this group. Reality is different to all of us. But our feelings are mostly different than the truth of who Christ is and how God hears us and what he has in store for us. Let's turn to one other story about prayer. I talked about it last week. The persistent widow. And let me paraphrase and I'll just kind of read the end of it. We talked about this week that there's this persistent widow who had an an issue with her who? Anyone remember? Enemy. Her enemy. Not her her neighbor, not her mother-in-law or father-in-law or sibling or, or, or co-worker. Her enemy. Her arch enemy. And so she hounded the the unjust judge who was neither God-fearing or cared about people. That's the description in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. But all of a sudden, the, the judge gave in because of her persistence.
And we fall into that trap too. And that's why Jesus gives these these repeated stories of of prayer that, hey, I'm going to teach you about prayer. But listen to this at the very end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to His chosen people who cry out to Him day and night? You see, the judge and the widow had no relationship. The judge was not God-fearing where this woman was a a child of God, a a woman of Israel, a, a daughter of Israel. Will you keep putting them off? I tell you, He will grant justice to them quickly. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will He find on the earth who have faith? How many? How many, in other words, are going to continue this journey that when they feel that they are confused and frustrated and ready to to turn it in, are going to say, maybe in my confusion, my continued faith will bring clarity. In my confusion... My continued faith will bring clarity. I was at the family promise last night and I was talking to a man who is homeless. And we were hanging out with he and his kids and a couple of us went over there with our kids last night. And I got to sit down and he goes, yeah, you must be the pastor because you're praying with people. So it's like, all right, that doesn't really say much about us Christians. I guess I'm the pastor because I pray for people. But it was kind of funny that he identified me as, as the pastor. But in that, he said, we were talking about prayer and his situation. He said, I remember the story from Rudy. Remember Rudy, the story of Rudy? Remember the movie Rudy? And when Rudy goes into the priest and he's at this crossroads and he's trying to determine whether or not he leaves Notre Dame to be, that's his one dream of being a fighting Irish to one time run onto the field and get in for one play. The priest turns to Rudy and says, we pray on our time, but God answers in his. So here it is, this man who's actually homeless with two sons is speaking truth into my life. Because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you pray and you walk in faith and in God's time He will make all things clear. All things clear. You see, the question is, is why does it seem like God puts us on this journey? Why did he show up to Abraham? Let's just use Abraham as an example. I know we're not looking at the text, but let's use him as an example. Why is it that God, when Abraham worshipped other gods, he was a pagan, he would have never heard of the God of the creator of the universe and how he created in seven days. He would have never heard of that God. He would have heard about the sun God and how the sun God was the creator and and how the sun God had put everything in in motion into place because that's who they worshipped. But for some reason, in one instance, God, the creator, comes down to Abraham and speaks like I'm speaking to you. 
And then all of a sudden, God has these little moments that he's speaking clarity into Abraham's life. And you know, moment after moment, Abraham's like, wow, it's like, it's like every step he's guiding me, he's, he's leading me, and, and I just got to keep following this voice. And then all of a sudden, God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And all of a sudden, God steps away. And Abraham's like, I can't have kids. I'm too old. So time goes on. He's thinking, I remember the promise. I remember the promise. I remember the promise. I remember the promise. And and finally, he and his wife get so fed up with it that they quit. We quit. Grab me a concubine. And Sarah grabs a concubine and says, here, go make a nation out of her. You see, all in this journey that Abraham went through and all of the journey that we each go through is that, yes, God speaks clarity, but there are moments, there are, let's call them segments, that we walk by faith in the unseen and not by by sight, and human intuition. Because here's the beauty of what God had done in the life of Abraham. He put Abraham on a journey of intimacy. You see, the word intimacy can easily be spelled as into me see. Into me see. God's saying, I want to see into you. And I want you to see into me. And I want to see who you really, really are. Now think about this. This is the beauty of the plan. Let's call it time out. I was talking to Kurt this week, and I was telling him about this, this moment that I had with God and how I had to change my, my message up. And it was just one of those moments that like, I can either learn to listen to God or do my own agenda for the plans. And Kurt was telling me about the Hebrew word for intimacy. So I'm going to let him describe it so I don't mess it up. Go for it. It's okay if you do. Um, uh, there we go. Excellent. It's not the Hebrew word. Actually, I told Rob, he told me that. I'm a Rob, check this out. I said, just the other day, I was, I'm, I'm into word origin meanings, you know, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, so I came across, I was reading about the word intimacy, and it has a Latin root. And uh, if you really go back into the Latin root, which I don't know my Latin, okay, so I'm not going to try to say it in Latin, but actually intimacy can be tracked back into its Latin root where it would actually be into fear. So, so growing in intimacy is actually growing into the fear of something. But I said to Rob, I said, you know, you think about what God wants to do in our lives. And when you really think about what God's longing to accomplish and the places that he wants to draw us to, like that can be a scary thing. It really is just walking straight into fear. You know, like really letting him see inside what's going on and what needs to be dealt with. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a cool little yeah, conversation we were having. Our and you know, I know how to say the Latin word. It's mahalach. Say it, everyone. No, it's not really it. But how cool is that? How cool is that? That intimacy is stepping into fear. I mean, think about when, when, you, when you fall in love, like you fall in love for different reasons, but when you get intimate with, pers- with person, you're stepping into fear. You're becoming vulnerable. You're becoming vulnerable. 
And that's what happens that God is drawing in, drawing us into that in your fear. In your greatest fears. For Sarah, her greatest fear was she was barren. And she could never have children. When they stepped into intimacy and they journeyed with God in God's timing, all was made clear. That's the journey of prayer. That He is not our genie. He is not our drug. He is not our emotional roller coaster. He is our greatest place of intimacy. And when we step in it, it says He will answer. No matter what. He will respond. The question is, are we going to be one of those churches that is going to journey on the highs and lows of Christianity based on religion? Or are we going to be a gathering of believers who journey in intimacy through prayer? So just like God had done in Abraham's life, He would do in ours. He would fulfill everything He's promised to us before the beginning of time. And I'm not talking about your selfish requests or my selfish requests, but God's will, His good, His pleasing, and His best will for us, for our children, for our church, for our community, and for the things that God has called us to. And here's what I want you to think about as you go to prayer. Think about that definition that Kurt said about fear and intimacy. The greatest way to get back on track with God, and we're going to talk about this more next week, is confession. It's recognizing, Jesus, I've pulled an Abraham. I've grabbed the things of this world to pretend like I'm fulfilling your plan. I talked last week about persistence. If you stick with Jesus, Jesus is faithful to you. I hope this is clear. I hope this didn't bring more confusion. Because I know that every church that's a church of prayer, God does a supernatural in their, in their, their church body, in their community, in the lives of each person. Let's do this. We're going to go to communion real quick. But we're going to open our eyes and we're going to look around. And if you're in this place of struggle, 
I just want you to say, I'm here. Just stand up. Because you know what? I'll be the first one to stand up. I'm here. I wrestle with this all the time. And the one thing I did this week was I confessed God. Take, and this is all I want you to say, take my confusion and bring clarity.